best introduction to this episode might come from comedian Jim Gaffney. It's amazing. It's hard to get, because it's so fragmented now, right? There's yes. so many, you know, ways yes. and, and episodes and shows at our disposal. It, it's overwhelming. There's like a pressure, and you know there's a pressure, because we all have developed excuses for our friends, like we're dealing with debt collectors. You know, it's like, have you watched True Detective? Uh, I, I'm catching up. I, uh, uh, give me a week. Uh, my, my wife had a dog baby. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> well, we're so glad to have you for episode two of ID8, our podcast here about your experience from within this technology renaissance that we're living in. And since fall TV is in full swing, we thought we'd devote this episode to exploring the evolving way that we interact with TV, these streaming players, subscription services, premium content. Like always, we just want to know why our stuff is designed the way it is and if we can make it better. We're here with our engineer, Paul. Hey, I'm Paul. Our usability expert, Rob. Hello, everyone. Designer, Aaron Clyde. Hello. And my name is Romy. So to start our conversation, it might be good to get a little context. A journey of the Mata Brothers. Like just about everything else in the last several years, watching TV has gotten kind of complicated. There used to be a time when you just turn on the TV and watch Mama's Family or The Brady Bunch for free. And then you knew that if you wanted to watch Beavis and Butthead, well, you had to add on MTV. If you wanted Tracy Ullman, you had to Comedy Central, Hollywood movies, HBO. It was expensive. It was somewhat complicated. And you still had to watch commercials, but it all came from one place. You better not mind getting bumped right now. And then do you remember when Hulu came out? Oh, you mean I can watch any show I want, whenever I want, it's free, and there's way less commercials? Why didn't it stay that way? Well, as it turns out, TV is really expensive to produce. The average show can cost around three and a half million dollars to produce per episode. And Netflix and HBO are introducing these more popular shows like Game of Thrones that are costing over $10 million per episode to produce. So we have to ask, how do we pay for all this content that we want? Lannister always pays his debts. Some of us were irritated when Hulu kept tacking on more and more ads to pay for their content. But the reality is that brands pay a service like Hulu between $25 and $75 per 1,000 impressions on a media buy depending on the show. So if Hulu wanted to offer, let's say, The Crown for free, which is really expensive to produce, they'd have to show us more Geico ads than content to make it worth it. If you want to save 15% or more on car insurance, you switch to Geico. But I'd like to propose a TV show that's just Geico ads. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't they make a show based on, like, The Caveman? Didn't they try making a... (laughs) Yes. Yes, yeah, there was did. A, there was, a, there was your dream came true and it it died. <laughs> really, <laughs> my dreams get statistically very poor ratings. We're really not that different from you. Just a little better looking. So yeah, unfortunately, that's why we don't see everything in one place for free. Sometimes content writers will write in branded content to offset costs a little bit. Doing that, we're not compromising the integrity of the show to sell. Wow, this is Diet Snapple. I know it tastes just like regular Snapple, doesn't it? You should try Plumagranite. 
It's amazing. <laughs> But yeah, some people find this off-putting. So, enter the premium content subscription fee, which is basically the same model that cable providers have been using for decades. But here's where the user experience really gets jacked up because without a physical network to monopolize content delivery, the content is so fragmented across all these separate experiences. If you want to watch Star Trek Discovery, where do you get? You gotta download the CBS All Access app. You want Stranger Things? Subscribe to Netflix. You want Handmaid's Tale? Hulu. You want to check out our former co-worker Aaron Mankey's dark hit lower gotta have amazon prime so all these options they have their own apps they have their own payment models they have their own ui their own experience some might argue well now there's more options there's more competition this is a good thing but in reality things are really confusing It, it's reported that game of thrones season seven was pirated over a billion times can you imagine how much lost revenue that is and granted not all that can be attributed to bad ux but hbo's service is particularly confusing there's hbo for cable there's hbo go and hbo now all of which you can subscribe to separately in different gradients if it was simpler and choosing relaxation was actually relaxing don't you think hbo could recoup some of those losses if the entire industry came together and said we'll get more people to watch our content and pay for our content if we make this available in an easier more monetizable or more segmented way maybe there would be more incentive because people can consume it easier maybe uh maybe there's something to that i would do that it's nice that itunes and google play has everything collected in one convenient place but why is it still a for purchase model how many times do you want to watch an episode of ncis are music we listen to over and over again and that's moved almost exclusively to subscription-based streaming model why wouldn't the same be true for our tv yeah i think you're on to something there i think there's a managing aspect to like buying a show on itunes and like did i buy that get that season pass or do i have this thing or that and where do i store that do i or i don't have an iphone or an ipod and there's a lot of barriers to entry to me yeah exactly there's a ux principle there right complexity leads to friction friction leads to indecision indecision leads to lost revenue so so how bad do you guys think that is like is it is it really such a big deal to to have to sort of cobble together your own unique collection of streaming services Well, I talked to my buddy Nate and asked him where he's landed in this whole entertainment stew that we're swimming around in. Madam Secretary? Oh, I love Madam Secretary. And he basically said he's turned to services like Sling TV and PlayStation View, which are basically just cable TV as it always has been. They offer subscription models for various channel tiers, and they're still commercials. And what made me make the switch was um, NBA TV and NFL Network and um, Comcast Sportsnet California. It's funny. It it really is true that we've tried so hard to not subscribe to cable, and it's pretty established that with just a few streaming services, you're back to cable. But now they were creating their own content, so now you you have to have cable and Netflix because, (laughs) because Netflix is making its own shows, so all of our paychecks are just going to content. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So there's already plenty of friction around the decision to support a particular platform or download a particular app. But even after you've made that decision, you also have to decide what to watch. And that's a whole other topic. So, Aaron, where could we start that conversation? First, let's go back to the beginning of TV browsing. 
And it sounded a little something like this. <laughs> Do you know what that is? Is that Any a TV guesses? guide? That, my friends, is a TV guide. <laughs> yes. I, still, I recognize those thin paper sheets. <laughs> Who can forget? That Flipping thin through. Newsprint. That sound. Oh, that sound. So, so we remember that that experience, right? Like we, you either you subscribe to TV Guide or you're at the grocery store and you pick one up and and you read the cover article with the exclusive interview with David Hasselhoff. Then you see featured some movies that were coming to TV and then some new favorite shows are are back in the lineup. And then you'd go further into the TV Guide and there was a grid, right? The grid has time at the top on the left side would be the channels and you can navigate and find that episode of saved by the bell and you can set your vcr and you can watch it when you get home from school with your bowl of cheerios yes. br- brought to you by cheerios <laughs> right? but fast forward a little bit bob saget here and this cable boxes come out the internet comes out and now you need a way of taking in that same information in an interactive in a digital manner so I've got a, a number for you. 6,396,546. What does it mean, Aaron? <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing it's a patent number. Hey, how you guys get all these things? What an ear you have. That, that is a patent. Now, I want everyone to, to sit back and relax and listen to this. I love a data processor receives and stores in a memory television program schedule information for a plurality of television programs to appear on the plurality of television channels. Oh yeah. <laughs> that is I love the grid. That is the grid in digital form. What? I love that TV guide patented an Excel spreadsheet. That's what I love. <laughs> what? That just, that's basically what they did. And and but then they got bought and then another company bought them and then all these companies, all they're really doing is buying the name TV guide and all these patents. So now anytime someone wants to have that grid, times at the top, channels on the left, they have to pay usage dues to this company that owns the grid. So that gives them two options. One, do they pay them and cut into their razor thin margins or do they go around it and make some other user interface? And a lot of them have tried to do that with some mixed results. Here's a review for YouTube TV by Theo Joe. This is what he has to say about their interface. And the biggest gripe I have with it is it doesn't have any type of TV guide. It doesn't tell you what's any more in the future than what's up next which I think is stupid. I can't imagine any other cable service that doesn't let you see what's gonna be showing on different channels in the future. Hopefully they'll add that. If that's part of like the deal they have with the cable companies, I think that's just stupid. <laughs> so Theo Joe really is not feel? happy. He is not happy about that grid. But the, the, the truth is, there's a reason. They didn't just do that because they thought it was a good idea. They probably don't want to pay those fees to that company, TV Guys. So all these companies, they're trying to take live TV, like we were talking about, and they're trying to figure out ways to show that mm. content. Wow. Amazing. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, but does anyone really watch 
live TV anymore? Exactly. <laughs> so on Twitter, jcal24 says, the only thing I watch on live TV is football. Hope Armageddon streams on Hulu, because otherwise I ain't seeing nothing. <laughs> so Brilliant. I don't know if he's talking about the end of days or the movie starring Steve Buscemi. But <laughs> he, he was the headliner for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, so yeah, live TV for a lot of users, a lot of customers, it isn't relevant, but it's still a big market and that's, people are still going after it. So what they're doing is they're taking that grid, if they're going to implement it, they're kind of making it a second class citizen in the interface. So really live content, on-demand content, it's all the same, right? It's it's just content. In the past, you'd be browsing through your TV, you're clicking, you're clicking through channels and you just settle on something. But that's not true today. Now you, there's a barrier before before you get to the video. So you have to explicitly choose what you want to watch. And that makes a big problem for any interface. And that brings us finally to the real topic, browsing. And The Onion really hits it. Let's just listen to The Onion. Media streaming giant Netflix announced its new payment plan this week, which offers users the option to just browse endlessly without watching any videos. According to CEO Reed Hastings, quote, for just $5 a month, we're giving customers affordable access to Netflix's most popular <laughs> function, scrolling through our robust library of titles and posters without ever deciding on a single one. The new plan will allow users to add titles to their queue that they'll never watch and will still give customers helpful recommendations for what else to browse. In addition to the browse endlessly plan, Netflix has hinted that it will add up to 1,000 additional movies you've never heard of and TV shows that you kind of want to watch, but not if there's something better on. <laughs> I love that. The- but it's so true, right? I'm sure at any of our houses, we're with our friends or family, and you're just endlessly browsing. And that really shows what the experience, 90% of any TV interface is information architecture. It's how you organize and you promote content relevant to the user. The goal is make my subscription worthwhile. Get me to things that I will value, that I like, that will entertain me. And one service we should probably talk about is Hulu. Hulu just did this big redesign, this beautiful interface that is terrible. <laughs> Terrible, right? It makes the most important part of an internet television service browsing a total chore. I can't yeah. even pronounce his name. Kruger Mala on Twitter says, everything else about the redesign is a usability nightmare. It's like they did UX testing, then did the exact opposite. <laughs> but you know, it's it looked beautiful. And really, it would be great if the first or second thing that it showed was really something I wanted to watch. Like if my mood didn't matter, if content algorithms and organization were right on then the interface is perfect i uh, yeah that's exactly what i want to watch click but now that they've made it difficult to browse oh boy and that's what a fail hulu an evil plot to destroy the world enjoy <laughs> what a huge huge fail um, can i just say that this is why i'm not afraid of artificial intelligence taking over the world <laughs> once they can once they can, they can create an artificial intelligence they can like predictably suggest to me a show I'd like to watch, then maybe we can have that conversation, right? Yeah, it's like, this is not a new problem. It's something that any of us that were coming of age in the 80s and 90s know that when you had friends over to watch a movie, you'd be like, okay, let's go to the video store and pick something out. And then you'd spend the entire evening in the stupid video store (laughs) and you'd leave and just go to a Chinese restaurant. Like, it was so frustrating. And they've done the exact same thing. They're the aisles of Blockbuster just on your screen. (laughs) 
Well, I was talking with one of you guys about YouTube's decision to leave the star rating system for the thumbs up, thumbs down, and then Netflix was going to go do the same thing. All these things, whenever whenever a company makes a big change like this, it's always going to be controversial. I think that YouTube and Netflix, though, are two totally different things. YouTube is all about popularity, so the Boolean one zero true false, do you like this or not kind of thing makes sense for a public forum like YouTube, where you want to see what's the most popular in its category, for instance, but something like Netflix, where you have your own library, you have your own history of things that you've watched, it's more important to know, for instance, did you actually finish this entire series, or did you just watch one episode of the series and you moved on to the next? So, services like Netflix and Hulu, they probably have access to way more data, and they could be a little bit smarter about the the choices that they make and and what to present to you as something you might like based on your usage. Uh, I'd also thought a little bit about maybe if it was thumbs down, thumbs up, and a rating. Like, if I really like something, yeah, thumbs up, great. Um, Do I give it four stars? Not really. I might give it two stars. So, there's probably a lot more that can be done and will be done in the future. And, you know, you, you can try to call that stuff AI, but it's really about people being smart about the data that they have, sorting the data, trying to eliminate false data. These are all things that people are constantly trying to improve over time. (laughs) There it is. Thumbs up, three stars for that explanation. I do think it's interesting. There's really a psychological aspect to this, like, selecting thing. You know, when you want to pick a movie to watch with your friend, like you are saying, Hiromi, it's like, everybody's like, I don't care whatever you guys want. And like, oh, what about the new Star Wars movie? Nah. I already saw it. (laughs) Right? It's it's like, well, then you do care. You know, it's like, we don't want to watch the things that were suggested. So it's like all these UIs are at a disadvantage because we really don't care what they tell us. We're not going to want to watch any of that. (laughs) It's true. I like how on Spotify, when I was hooked into it via Facebook or whatever, I always found the best content based on my friends listening to this. Oh, I'll go check that out. You know, maybe there's some kind of opportunity, some kind of more of a social way on Netflix. Why isn't more stuff like that social? I mean, when you watch TV, um, many times it's social, right? You're watching with friends. You trust each other's recommendations. Like, Mm -hmm. I can't think of a single service right now that's really that socially integrated of all of them. I think that it was abandoned because it was tried in in the more traditional, like, five years ago approach to social networking. But now it's like, if it was sort of like a part of that app's user interface that showed you, like, what your friends are watching, you almost want to watch it so you can talk to them about it later, you know? Like, oh, I saw you were watching a show. I, I checked it out. And it's pretty good, you know? Yeah. And I do think mood is a really big part of it, too. Like you said, you can say that you would like something based on things that you've watched before, but how you're feeling is is very different. And how a group is feeling is is even harder to get around. Apple's trying some of that. Hey, Siri, movies from the 90s that are comedies and are good. Comedy movies from the 90s, Groundhog Day, Clarks, Galaxy Quest, Swingers, Dazed and Confused. Do you want to hear the next five movies? No. No. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But I would watch Groundhog Day if I was in the, you know, maybe that would have worked if I really was in the mood for comedies from the 90s. Phil! Okay, so we've got some good ideas about discovering new content. 
But what if we already know what we want to watch? How do we get to the stuff we want to watch? Well, really, this all comes down to content search. (laughs) No, no. If you do know what you want to watch, it just comes down to, like, how do you get to that? And the last few years of everybody creating a streaming stick, you got Roku and Amazon, and, and then you still have your traditional cable boxes, and you've got your TV. TV itself and then so there's there's a lot of cognitive load in using remotes these days uh, at my parents house I spent some time at my parents house recently they literally have a bucket of remotes it's like I was a, really hoping that it was going to be like a bucket with like craw, a crawfish bucket or something <laughs> like a drywall <laughs> pail <laughs> Uh, no, my mom's got this like little ceramic pottery thing with like all the remotes in it. It's got an Apple TV remote and a TV a remote to their TV itself, a remote to their cable thing, a remote to the sound bar. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely absurd. Uh, there's this great um, article here that I found on slate.com. It says, every living room has its own orchestra of buttoned rectangles, a set of instruments that must be played in just the right sequence and according to a musical logic that can never be taught, only learn. Yet we indulge the fantasy that using someone else's TiVo is a matter of following a few simple directions. Just make sure you power up the cable with the gray remote, then flip on the set with that shiny black one. Otherwise, you'll get all screwed up. You can change the channels with the silver and use the gray again for the volume, but remember, whatever happens, don't you dare press any of the buttons on the little gray one. For the love of God, just leave the little gray one alone. <laughs> and that that pretty much sums up television watching I think for like my parents and that entire baby boomer generation of people who are trying to like latch on to the old and use the new and all the stuff. Oh yeah. But in asking a few people like younger people what they do for television, I found that even though there is a plethora of options, younger people are just using one thing. That's sort of the holy grail it seems. Short of taking all 50 remotes in your bucket and duct taping them together. <laughs> yeah. For one big super remote. Mega remote. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and what's funny too, I found this one remote that a few people recommended when I reached out on Facebook about just how many ways to improve the television viewing experience. And some people said that they use the Logitech Harmony remote and it allows you to like program. <laughs> It's funny to say, but it allows you to program it. Like it, when it originally came out, you you had to go on your computer and program modules, and, what, and set up different scenarios of of viewing on your television. A little intimidating with all the space age, the Logitech Arduino kit. <laughs> yeah, that's right. yeah. solder your own great. remote. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's so funny is on Amazon, you can purchase this remote, and it's so confusing that Amazon even offers an expert setup option that costs $111. After hearing Whoa. your segment, Rob, I think the best user experience is to move to a cabin in the middle of nowhere and never use technology ever again. You've convinced me. <laughs> You're welcome. I, what I don't understand is why is it so confusing to make a decent universal remote? Like, what, where, why is that so hard? 
This is just one of those questions like, um, why is the sky blue? I'm sure there's a reason, but only Dad knows. No one, no one is willing to come together to standardize things. There's a newer type of HDMI C-E-C. cable, CEC. It automatically turns on your devices when, when you need them. So, for instance, like if you're if you have a somewhat newer TV, like maybe the last four or five years, and you plug in a new Apple TV to it, it will automatically turn your TV on and put it to the right input. Because it sees the signal um, coming in from that input. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's helped with some of that friction, which is nice. See, that's a, that's kind of what I'm talking about, too. Like, that's a standard cable type. Yeah. It just works. <laughs> Magic. Well, what we really need then, though, is like somebody like Apple or Amazon or whoever. Like instead of making streaming sticks and trying to make these dumb devices smart, why don't they just make one themselves? It would probably be pretty successful. Right. Yeah. Rob wants an Apple TV TV. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay, we've talked about a lot of things here. Let's do a lightning round. If you could distill down for me, what would you like to see different in entertainment UI in the next few years? I want my television to help me to settle. I want it to be able to just bring me into content that through algorithms or whatever, it knows I'll like and will spare me the pain of of having to browse endlessly. Maybe it is uh, reading my sweat glands and it knows the mood (laughs) I'm in and the endorphin sensor in in my smartwatch tells it exactly what I want to watch and it just starts. We didn't talk about smartwatch integration. Nice. Yeah, I like that. I like All that. from the comfort of my cabin in the middle of the woods, <laughs> on Walden, <laughs> where there is no television. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, I'll go. I hate the idea of thinking that a show that has been recorded is I have to catch it at a certain time or DVR it for later and fast forward over commercials. It's it's a huge pain. So I just love for content that's not live to be on demand and live content to be live or be able to be replayed. I'd like for Google Play or iTunes or someone that has some clout to create one simple model that rules them all and then create like a subscription service around all content. Like let's say 30 bucks a month and you get up to that amount of viewing like value and then they charge a lower cost amount to supplement that value as you watch. But you don't have to worry about money all the time and just watch whatever you want and it'll come out of this subscription fee. I'd like for the consumption to get easier and I'd like to introduce social viewing for suggestions and standardized inputs, maybe using mobile. Uh, more services should use that. I would like to see more organizations make a move to embracing more standards. For instance, content creators adopt a a content distribution standard, make it easier to distribute your content through aggregators in in a standardized way so that more people can access them easily and allow software developers to distribute your content a little bit easier. Well, that's about all we've got for you today. If you have any thoughts or disagreements, feel free to voice them on Twitter at ID8Podcast. That's our handle. We'd love to hear your ideas for future episodes. Please tell us what you think. Until next time, thanks for hanging out. (laughs) 
So guys, what's your favorite improvement that you've noticed in entertainment technology in the last few years? I do like live television and I also like sports. And live television is, there's really no way around that. So there are more options. Direct TV Now, YouTube TV, Sling, all these people are, are getting into it and competition is good. So it's going to improve. I, I do like the new Apple TV TV app experience. All of your shows are sort of in your own personal channel where you have this sort of row of boxes at the top that are all thumbnails from shows that you've been watching. I like that unified experience. I like that aggregator kind of feel. One thing that I really like that I've seen in the last couple years is Netflix. They allow you to skip the intro of, of shows because mm, yes. I don't need to watch that over and over and over again. Love it. I, I do like this feature that Netflix has, but I've never actually used it because I have no one to watch things with over a distance. But they have this cool, like, sync show feature where you can watch a show with someone in another location. Like, one person presses play and you're both watching at the same time. I think that's kind of cool. Yeah. Rob, if you want to watch a movie together, you can call me up anytime. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't that wasn't meant to sound as sad as it did. <laughs> I love this friends watch with friends feature, but oh well. <laughs> <laughs> That's my bad. That's on me. <laughs> no, no, we'll, we'll watch if you we'll watch Bring It On Four together, <laughs> and you name the time, and I'm there, buddy. Oh man, That's thank awesome. you. That's so sweet.